Okay. And Bonnie, do you have anything to add to your group? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The disciples were really concerned about who, what sin this man had committed, that he was blind and, and so forth. And they were, you know, ready to jump into that vicious cycle that whatever happens to us is always a direct result of whatever we've done rather than just original sin or whatever. And again, this was the second of the signs where the, he, the sign really, really stirred up the uh, Pharisees over Christ breaking the Sabbath. They were not at all happy that uh, Christ broke the Sabbath on this, this particular one. So then we have Adam and Mino and Brenda, I think. And so who is going to talk? Adam's going to talk? Okay. Okay, so we looked at all the way down now to the last chapter, and um, I'm sure Monica told Dale that he had to be quiet and that she would do all the talking, but I think he'll probably do it anyway, but uh, anyway. So we're, we're now at the end of the, chap- the book, John chapter 21. It actually, I, I think, contains two specific signs in the, in the one chapter, but uh, go ahead, Dale, talk to us for a couple minutes.
Yeah, it's, it's interesting that uh, whether they just weren't expecting him and it just was such a surprise they couldn't put it together quickly or there was some, some way of making them think about it. And yeah, it's, an, it's interesting. Um, I think that that particular day, that particular morning had to be a morning that they recounted, went over and over and over again in their minds so many times in the following years about, you know, here we're going about this everyday task of trying to catch fish. We're not doing anything. And guess who shows up and fills our nets? Um, and then also just that daily provision of food and, and need every, every day. Um, and it, it was always interesting to me, too, that, that uh, they counted, that John actually had the number of fish that they, that they had, uh, 153, I think it says there. And, and, you know, here's John writing 60-some years later, <clears throat> and obviously, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but that he adds and gives this number of, of the fish that were there. And uh, so I think there's probably some kind of financial significance to all that, but um, again, I don't know, it all, know all of it. But So I hope you enjoyed that little bit of whatever class time uh, that we, you had. Um, they're just, uh, again, sometimes we get into the habit of just reading things and we're not stopping and slowing, slowing down enough to think about them and figure them out, and, and that, that's good. I mean, as, as little a thing as sometimes having, I mean, if, if you're, you know, really committed to whatever translation it is, that's fine. But sometimes even if you just have a different Bible that has the, the, the stuff on the page in a different place, and if you just read that sometimes, it will just sort of change your, your mind have, will have to work a little harder to f- figure it out sometimes and, and go that. I'm just saying that we just, to avoid that, well, I've read that 50 times in my life. Well, no, slow down and read it one more time. Read it, I would suggest a different translation, but like I said, some of you may be really committed to just one, but you know, just read somewhere, it's, it's a little different. The pages are a little different. Um, so that's what I would suggest to you. So um, I'm not sure how many more weeks I would have needed to finish up everything that we needed to do. I thought I was going to be all done on time, and it didn't work out that way. So I haven't done anything with <clears throat> the cross work of Christ, what he accomplished on the cross. I haven't done anything with the resurrection, nor have I done anything with the post-resurrection or his future ministry. So there's a, several things that I haven't covered. So today I'd like us to look briefly, because it will be briefly, at some of the teachings that we have recorded in the scripture for us. And purposely, I'm going to go to the very end of what he gives us in a way of teaching because I want to make sure that I deal with it today. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And um, I'm going to pick up with reading with verse 28. 18, excuse me. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, like some of the other familiar verses that we 
sometimes deal with or sometimes have memorized or whatever. Um, you may have maybe memorized verses 19 and 20 and may, for whatever reason, may not have memorized verse 18, but you don't want to lose verse 18 in this context because it really is the basis of what Christ is going to say and that, that in his saying that all authority has been given to him. And so this is, again, this act of this master, this, this Lord, this sovereign, sending out these, this particular group of, of uh, followers, disciples. Uh, this group is going to multiply uh, tremendously very quickly. So this group is going to get bigger, and their, the, the ministry impact that they have is going to, going to get bigger very, very quickly at the day of Pentecost. And so, but Christ shares with his disciples in this particular setting that all authority has been given to me. Now, I'm not telling you this because I, I did it, because I, I know it's going to sound like that, but um, I remember this has been many, many years ago. I, was, I preached a sermon. I preached a sermon on these three verses, and I had what I would refer to as a veteran missionary come to me and, and say to me afterwards, he said, I'd never paid any attention to verse 18 before. He said, I've been a missionary for all these years, and I've just never paid that much attention to verse 18. So, again, just how easy it is to overlook something or get familiar with the passage and not pay attention to all the details that are found in a passage. And I'm not standing here telling you that I'm going to give you all the details of any passage or know everything that there is to know, because that's the furthest thing from what I'm trying to say. Just drawing your attention again to the text, to the scripture. So he, so he starts out with this fact that, he's, that he has all authority. It's already been given to him, and he's going to share it. And then um, probably most of our, again, I'm reading from the King James, but New King James, but most have something there, therefore go or go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. I'm going to take away um, what might be some people's excuse because some people will say, well, I've never been told to go, so I don't have to go, and so I don't have to do that. And I will say to you that the command in this section is the word to make disciples. The go is an assumption. What Christ is saying is that no matter where you're going, no matter when it is you're going, no matter how it is you're going, you have a responsibility to make disciples. So there isn't, doesn't need to be a sense of that we've been told to go because Christ knew these disciples when he was talking to them. He knew that they were going to go all kinds of different places in the coming years. They were going to do all kinds of different things in the coming years. And no matter where they were, no matter what they were doing, they were never without the responsibility of making disciples. So I know most of you, will, most will tell you that the word go is a command. It may carry that sense as a command. I'm just telling you it's really, really broader than that. You cannot wiggle out of the responsibility to witness or make disciples, it just isn't possible from the way Christ talked. He knew that they were going to be moving from where they were standing that day out into the world, and he said, no matter where you're going, no matter how you're going, no matter what you're doing, you are to make disciples. So, whatever, you can think about it, but that's what is stated here in this text. And then he goes on to describe the process of making the disciples, 
by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I've always been amazed at how Christ includes in this little statement that he's given this group of disciples, how he includes this, this dynamic teaching of the Trinity in this, in this context. Just lays it right out there, causes us for hundreds of years to wrestle with all the dynamics of it and all the particulars of it. But he just says, you're going to baptize them in what? How? In what? Not, not just in my name, not just in the name of a cause, but in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he leaves, lays on the real hard responsibility, and that is to teach them to observe all things that Christ had commanded them. So that was to be passed down. That is the process of discipling, is to do that. And finally, in this light, turn over with me to Acts chapter 1. And again, the last moments of Christ in his earthly ministry here. And um, I'm just going to read verse 8, which again is a... um, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now again, in my years of being sometimes in a teaching position or a leading position, I have, you know, just um, heard people try to make whatever excuse it is to avoid this responsibility of being involved in um, discipleship. But uh, Christ just assumes here that these disciples will do that. Uh, It's stated in very positive terms. Um, They're going to get power first from the Holy Spirit, which is linked to the all authority given unto me back in Matthew 28, 18. And then it just goes on that they will be witnesses to me and then just gives a global picture of it all. So just like I said, I didn't want to get to the end and, and not be able to do that because these are the final instructions that Christ leaves with this group of disciples that he has been training, loving, teaching, guiding, directing for these three plus years. And he says, now that I'm gone, here's what, here's what you are to do. And this is just stated as an expectation. Uh, there's not a you know, like I said, there's no wiggle worm here, room here. There's no, well, I, it doesn't apply to me. Uh, I've, had, I've heard people say, well, this just applies to the disciples. Well, then just throw the rest of the Bible away too because it must just apply to the disciples also. How do you decide just this verse is the, is the verse that applies only to the disciples? It's only an excuse. It's not a reason. It's not a way. So, as I was looking at the teachings of Christ, it was like, Wow. You know, that was what I had sort of planned for a couple weeks, and uh, obviously not going to get there, but uh, to take a couple weeks to do that. So one of the things that I did, I just want to again tell you something I did this week that was, I really just, it was such a blessing to me, um, so I'm just going to share it with you briefly and encourage you maybe to consider doing something like that. So there's, so there's the Matthew 5 through 7 passage, which is basically the kingdom teaching passage, there's the Matthew 13 passage, which is the uh, sort of the key to understanding the parables. There's Matthew 24 through 25, which is the Olivet Discourse, which basically deals with the end times. And then there's John chapter 10, which I think is 
very, very significant passage in Christ describing uh, his relationship as the good shepherd. And then, and then John chapter 14 through 16, which is a time of preparation, final preparation that, that Christ is giving to his disciples. But in that, he is also disclosing the, in, the future ministry to them of the Holy Spirit. And so those are the passages that if somebody said to me, you know, develop, develop a class just on the teachings of Christ, those were the pa- would be the passages that I would emphasize. That is not to discount any other chapter. It's not to discount any other verse or any other discourse that Christ gave. It's just simply the ones that I would choose if somebody said develop a class just on the teachings of Christ. Those are the ones I would go to and, and, and look at and discuss. So what I did this week when I realized I wasn't going to be able to teach all the way through any of those passages is I took a piece of paper and a pen and I started reading those sections. And then I started making notes of those sections and this, like little bullet point no- notes that I kept doing all the way through all these sections. See this? <laughs> it, it was just, I, I just, it, I don't know, it was just such a blessing for me to just to sit there and be reminded of, of these particular passages, be reminded of Christ as he was dealing with this and each one of them having a very specific purpose in his immediate ministry with the disciples as well as his future ministry of the disciples, as of the future ministry of the disciples, as well as moving into our time and what we're, what we're to do again today. Um, I was especially, when I did this, I was especially reminded, I guess it would be the fairest way to word, word to use, I'm not sure what word to use really, but the f- reminded of all the subjects, all the topics that he covered in Matthew 5 through 7. Just amazing how many, the, how many things in my life it was just like, wow, wow, wow. It, just, it was, you know, just um, sometimes just a rude awakening, sometimes just a gentle reminder, but it was just something that really, really was a blessing to me. And so I encourage you to consider doing something else, something like that as a sort of a wrap-up of our class since we can't, aren't going to be able to do all that together. But uh, it was just something I really, really profited from. Turn with me to Matthew 13, please. I want you to look at uh, verse 16 of Matthew 13 for just a moment. It says, this, it says this, but blessed are your eyes. This is Christ speaking to the disciples. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now, very interesting, as Christ gives these parables, he is, he is conveying this spiritual truth, sometimes referred as heavenly truth. He's, referring, he's, he's relaying this spiritual truth in the context of these very simple illustrations. These are things that the immediate hearers, not, not necessarily you and me, because our, our life is different and our context is different, but those immediate hearers, they would have understood these illustrations very, very well. And so he lays out these very simple illustrations, but because the people that were listening to them, the unbeliever, pe- believing people that were listening to them, were, because of their unbelief, were so blind, so spiritually deaf, 
that even this very plain teaching, just they were still confused by it. They weren't, weren't, they weren't able to grasp it. Now, I think Christ taught this way so that when those people became believers and, and as we become, become believers, that we have a vehicle that helps us to understand spiritual truth, even though these immediate people were, like, confused. They were like, what is he talking about? Why is he using that as an illustration? Uh, it, it's not making any sense to me, uh, more or less, is some of the response that he was getting. So, so this, is that, this is the section where Christ talks about the parables. This is not, these are not the only parables in the, in the Gospels by any means. But he, I think this is where he, for, for one thing, he gives explanation of some of these parables right in the context. That is very helpful to us because we can actually see what he's wanting to, them to understand and what he's wanting them to hear. But um, so that's why I went here rather than picking some of the other parables along the way. So let me just read down here through here for a few verses. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together for him. So they got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But the others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, and to them has been not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not hear, see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, and I'm not, not going to read this section, but it talks about the heart being dull and, and, and so forth. So he chooses to use this very first parable. Um, again, I remind you of the, you know, the, just that base meaning of the word par- parable. It, it means to cast down alongside something. The first part of the word is para, which means to be alongside. And abalo, which is where we get the word ball from, is the word to throw or to cast. And so Christ is taking just this ordinary everyday illustration, laying it down beside, throwing it down beside this spiritual truth so that they can take and understand more about the spiritual truth through the means of an illustration. Um, Sometimes you know that um, sometimes people make give illustrations and and they don't mean a lot. Um, When I moved to Green, when we moved to Greensburg to, um, to pastor there, I sort of quickly learned that my farming illustrations didn't mean anything to people that thought that chocolate milk came from brown cows. I'm, I'm teasing a little bit, but it was true. I had, you know, I grew up with a farming background, though I didn't do that in a full-time basis. I grew up with a farming background. I had lived in a farming community prior to us going to Greensburg, and farming illustrations really hit home. People really understood what I meant. And they would do pretty well here for the most part, okay? But they didn't do well at Greensburg at all. <laughs> so 
I had to uh, I had to learn new new illustrations so people there could could understand why I was what I was illustrating. Um, one of my teachers once said that an illustration is what lets the window into a lesson or a sermon. That's that's what an illustration does. It lets the lets the light. Excuse me, it's a window that lets the light into into a uh, truth or whatever. So here we have this this sower. It's known throughout as a as the parable of the sower. It's, it's, it's more the parable of the different soils that we find here represented, but it is the parable of the sower. So um, anybody here do any sowing? That's like lights described here. This isn't this doesn't apply to glory bound quilters, by the way. Different kind of sowing. Anybody? D- Dale, do you sow stuff on your garden after when you're done with your garden at all? You have in the past, but you're not doing it currently? Yeah, yeah. So Okay. You have a bag? A bag of cedar, Amos? Yep. And cranked it here? Yep. Okay. So, yep. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, at the end of every every fall after I take the last of my garden stuff off my garden and I run the tiller, then I walk through the garden and with a bucket or whatever, a bag under my arm, and I sow the seed out. It's not very efficient. But it, uh, if you don't have anything better to, to do it with, it, it works. And uh, Amos has got one step up above the bag uh, or the bucket because <laughs> he puts it in his, that bag and he cranks it out, which is what you could buy if you go to the Lowe's or someplace today. You, it's all plastic probably if you go there. But, so the parable of the sower that we have here. So we see here the seed. What is the seed that? is portrayed here in this, this parable. What's, what's the seed represent? The gospel, the scripture, okay? The gospel or the scripture. And we have it, um, I'm not sure what word to use, but the, the conflict arises as soon as it's put out there. We have the birds that come by and start snatching it away. We have uh, places where there's stony, stony places uh, where it can grow, you know, sprout up, and um, but not take root because of the stones that are there. Um, now I use a farming illustration for you, okay? So used to we'd combine when I was with my granddad's, we would combine, and we would pull the combine. And we always, my grandfather didn't leave anything out, okay? If it wasn't under a shed, it was covered up with a tarp, and so we would pull it in the shed, and it would sit there, say, over the weekend or whatever, and when we would take it out somewhere where the little fine dust was, which had weed seeds in it, there'd be little tiny, tiny little green plants growing in the dust that was on the combine. And then you'd pull it out in the sun, and in, just in the process of getting the combine ready to go to the field, those little green plants would shrivel up and basically disappear because they had no root. They were just sort of abiding in the dust that was there on top of that metal combine and it wouldn't go anywhere. And so that is the concept of this falling on, on the split where there, was no, where there was stone. And then some fell and um, probably did all re- real, grew real well. It probably This next section probably uh, pictures my garden when the plants came up 
and the next thing you know, you go out there the next day, and all of a sudden, the weeds have grown 10 times faster than the plants, and the weeds are now overtaking the plants. And if you just leave them alone, the plants will not make it. The weeds will, but the plants won't, and that probably does best. And the final one is when it falls on good ground and yields a crop and different um, folds or whatever that are, that are here. And so um, he go, does, like I said, he does describe here, in, uh, I did down in verse 18, um, therefore, the, therefore hear the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he receives seed on a stony place. And by the wayside, um, that means the path. Uh, so between the fields where the farmer that day, when, where the farmer would walk to get from one plot of ground to the other, that pathway would get hard from, from walking on, the, on it. And that's what it's talking about when it's talking about the seed falling on the wayside. And maybe you have a, more, maybe you have a word that already describes that. But that's, that's that idea of that, of that seed. When you're sowing it, you can't just exactly place it where you want it to. So that's some of that seed fell out there on the wayside or in the hard path. But he who receives the seed on stony places, as he hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And I'm sure all of us have someone in our minds that we can think of that fits this illustration, someone that heard the word, got excited about the word, got excited about your salvation experience or whatever, but because it was all just in them, in themselves, and it was not a, the work of God, then, it, then after a short time and things got going tough or things changed, sometimes people do that when things are going tough and when things go, get going better, then they forget what they had before. And so we probably all have the people in our minds that we regret that that happened to them. And now he who receives seed among the thorns, he who hears the word and the cares in this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and becomes unfruitful. But he receives seed on the good, good ground, is he who bears the word, hears the word, excuse me, and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. And then in the context here, then Christ goes on and talks about some of the other parables that he's taught them and so forth. Um, turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 10. We have just a few minutes. This, of course, is Christ's discourse on his relationship to um, his people, his immediate disciples, his others, then, including you and me, uh, as, as, as the good shepherd. Um, John chooses a, a very limited scope of Christ's earthly ministry um, as far as the amount of days that are covered. If you studied through, I don't remember the exact number right now, but it's 30-some days that they believe that are basically represented uh, in Christ's ministry. Um, and it, 
not 30 days at one time, not, not, the, not a month at one time, but a day here, a day here, and a day another. And again, the other Gospels are very selective also, but they believe that John probably has the, li- the most limited scope of days available to him, to us, for, to see into his life. So when, I, when I'm looking through John and reading through John, I always sort of, John chapter 10 is not time-wise, chronologically from Christ's contact with the disciples is not very far away from chapters 14 through 16 is what I guess I'm trying to say to you. And so here he, again, knowing that his time is coming, knowing that he's going to be taken, crucified, and and then uh, resurrected and ascended to heaven, he he takes this time to um, just to take probably what was a familiar passage for them to Psalm 23 and just sort of make it more personal to them in an expanded, in an expanded fashion. And so he starts this by discussing this re- reference or relationship he has with them as, as, the, as the shepherd. Um, and he starts right out with, in verse John chapter 10, verse 1, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but com- climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he enters in by the door as the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet will they, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which spoke, he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that may have it more abundantly. So he starts out with this, building this imagery, building this illustration, and first of all, just talks about where the sheep are kept safe at night or safe during some adverse circumstances. And so these disciples, which we basically know what, what occupation we know about them, tend to be, seem to be more fishermen than, than shepherds. Uh, they were still familiar with this concept because of the agrarian setting that they lived in. They, they, they would have seen sheep on a regular basis. They would have seen these sheep folds on a regular basis. They would have known how a shepherd took care of his or his sheep. So this was something that was, again, speaking in very, very familiar terms. So again, before getting too far away, um, and again, I'm sort of just doing this just to, again, just to share a little bit about it and then to hopefully maybe uh, interest you in doing some more looking into it, more study on your own. But so he starts right out with this whole concept of I'm, I'm the one that protects you. I'm the one that takes care of you. I'm the one that watches over you. Now, there's going to be a few days in the very near future where they're going to need to be reminded of that, okay? Um, sometimes the, these sheepfolds were probably very permanent things where people brought their sheep in and kept them in a community-type setting. There were times when th- they would have been a field someplace in a, taking their sheep to, to pasture when in, in a different zone where, the, where, the, where there was green, green grass and, and water, et cetera. 
that they would build these sheepfolds out of thorn bushes, maybe find a place in a ravine someplace where they could use the actual, some of the natural walls of the ravine to help them to protect, protect their sheep. But there always had to be a place to go in and out. And in that going in and out, Christ declares himself here to be the door, the, the one that watched over, the one that cared for and protected his sheep in a, in a very, very personal and very, very important way. And then he goes on down in verse 11. Just stop reading there before. But I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, something he's repeated earlier in this set passage, again, is this knowledge that goes on between the Father, excuse me, between Christ and his, and his, and his sheep. The fact that they know him, the fact that he knows them, the fact that they know his voice, etc. Um, there's, there's always so many warnings throughout the, the scripture about false prophets and false teachers and false leaders. And, and so, I mean, th- this, is, this is alluding to that in a sense because what Christ is doing here is saying, in so many words, he's saying, if somebody is not following my teaching, they don't belong to me to begin with. No matter what they say, they don't belong to me to begin with. Because my sheep know my voice. Now, again, this goes back. I mentioned the community-type sheepfold where the people would bring different flocks. You know, if when you got there in the morning to take your sheep out and you called them, your sheep out of that group would come to you and follow you out of the sheepfold into the daily life. That pretty amazing to me to think about. Um, usually, pe- sheep are not given a lot of um, credit for intelligence. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's true, right, right, or tr- true, or whether it's a myth but they're not always given much credit for, for intelligence. But sheep do know who feeds them and who takes care of them and who protects them. And so, again, from our vantage point in sometimes watching other people respond to, in quotes, false teaching, um, given the call of a true teacher, given the call of true truth versus error, someone that has been been saved by God's grace, will follow the right path. They will follow the truthful path because that is what their ears have been tuned to listen to and to hear is the, is the tune of the, of the good shepherd, the tune of the good, great shepherd. Now, I am standing here looking at the clock, which you guys don't have to look at, thankfully. But uh, So I've enjoyed teaching this class. It's been very, very meaningful to me. Uh, I trust that you've learned something uh, in addition about our Savior, uh, about our shepherd, about the one who cares for us and loves us, protects us, the doorkeeper. I encourage you to keep on learning about him, following him, um, and I trust that, again, that this will be helpful to you in the years ahead and maybe just stir, stir your interest up in one particular topic and you'll really get 
interested in that and dive into it. And um, so, one of the things that out of the passages I read when I was reading through Matthew is chapter 7, and I won't turn there for a moment, just for a moment, but when I got to that section where there's the interchange between Christ and the, and the people that wanted into heaven, and he tells them, I never knew you. Um, again, it was just, just reflection time, you know. Just stop and think about this because it doesn't matter what you think. If he doesn't know you, you're not going to go. You're not going to go. I can tell you for the first 20 years of my life, I went to church all my life. I went, went memorized scriptures and so forth and so on. But for the first 20 years of my life, I did not know him. I'm thankful that he saved me. He changed my life, put me on a different path and a different direction. But in those first 20 years, I would have told you I'm going to heaven. But I didn't know him because he didn't know me. So be sure, be confident that you really do know the Savior, the Lord. Father, thank you for this class, for each individual. I don't know where all their lives are or where they're at today, but I trust that the reminder, just this very, very ending reminder, brief reminder of the fact that Christ is the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, that he calls us, he knows us by name, that this one that protects us, provides for us, and watches over us is real and a reality in our lives that we need to experience on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.